This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to the Justin Verlander is a New York Met edition of Rico Bronia. It actually went down before Craig and I went on the air Monday. So before I could respond on the afternoon show about the Grom and the Jet game and the Giant game, we had more Met news, which is Justin Verlander signing. So we obviously touched on it during the afternoon show, but we'll give you a Verlander reaction edition of Rico Bronia. I don't think either Hoff and I are surprised. And we mentioned this the last two times we talked. This seemed like the perfect kind of pivot to go to. Uh, it made a lot of sense for a few reasons. The reason I liked it ahead of Radon was the short-term aspect of it. You know, I like the idea despite the concerns which we'll get to about the age of Verlander and Scherzer leading a rotation, the fact that it's not a very long commitment. And one thing I pointed out at the end of the last Rico we did, and it's worth repeating, is that Major League Baseball's free agency over the next three winters features a lot of really good pitchers. And so if you're the Mets, you've got a chance to kind of give it a try with these two guys for a year or two two with Verlander, maybe a year with Scherzer because of his opt-out, and then pivot towards during this year's free agency, Shohei Otani, Luis Severino, Julio Urias, Aaron Nola. Next year's free agency, Max Free, Tyler Glasnow, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber, Brandon Woodruff. So it does give the Mets the opportunity to let it ride with two old guys and then have the ability to have the payroll flexibility with both of these contracts coming off the books. That's part of why I liked it. Part two of why I liked it is that he's Justin Verlander. Look, Justin Verlander is one of the great pitchers of all time. I'd be the first to tell you. And what he did last year makes no sense. I'd be the first to admit it. It made no sense that at 39 years old, coming off of Tommy John surgery, that Verlander was able to have the year he had in which he went out and won the American League Cy Young. If you look at the history, and this is why we're uncharted territory with Verlander and trying to predict what he's going to be at 40, 41, 42, and beyond. Before he had this Tommy John surgery, go back to 2020, summer of 2020, when he pitched in and got hurt, we found out he needed the TJ. The history of guys, 36 and older, having Tommy John surgery is a not a good list. It's not a long list. And it doesn't feature guys that would make you say, oh, don't worry. He did it. Like the most impressive guy on the list was Bronson Arroyo and Jamie Moyer at 47. Like there wasn't a history that told you Verlander could come back. And look, maybe it's modern medicine. Maybe it's the modern athlete. Um, 
I, I need to do this once a show because it makes Hoffman pissed off. The recovery of Kevin Durant's a great example to come back from a torn Achilles and play at the level he's playing at. Now, my point is, there was no record, a track record, of someone the age of Verlander having Tommy John surgery and then coming back and being as good as he was a year ago. It just doesn't exist. So when you try to take that and say, okay, well, what does that mean for next year? What does it mean for Verlander at 40? There's no record of it. Like, there isn't an example that we can look at, good or bad, and say, this is what happens when you're now two years removed from Tommy John surgery and you're 40 years old. And, oh, by the way, you've thrown 3,163 major league innings. And it's really more than that if you include the postseason and spring training and the minor leagues. But Verlander was brilliant in 2022. And prior to the two years he missed for Tommy John, Here's the amazing thing about Verlander. He would go out and make 30 starts every single season. Every year. If I'm not mistaken, there was only one season in his major league career prior to needing Tommy John surgery in which he didn't pitch 200 innings and make 30 starts. And that year was 2015. That was it. So, by the way, everything I'm saying right now, you could take as a positive or a negative. The negative being, he's got a lot of tread on the tire. The positive being, he's got a great track record of pitching every five days. And he does. But you can't ignore he's 40 years old, and he did miss all of 19, uh, 20 and 21 due to injury. But I still think in terms of, hey, who has the best chance of going out in 2023 and making 30 starts and throwing 180 innings, I believe Justin Verlander has the best chance of any of the remaining pitchers after DeGrom signed. I would have argued DeGrom, that's a different story. We're, we got to move on from it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about it anymore. Right? I've, I've talked myself out of it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But Carlos Redon, Justin Verlander, name who anyone, anyone you want, Jamison Tyone, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, of all the guys out there, who has the best chance to make 30 starts in 2023? And crazily enough, I think the answer is a 40-year-old Justin Verlander. Do you agree with that, by the way, Pete? That of all the guys remaining prior to the Mets signing Verlander, and we're just predicting here, like there's no way to know the future, he actually is the guy I'd have the most confidence in pitching a full as, season. As far as free agents, yes, you go down that list. A lot of these guys are one-offs. Uh, coming off in, not coming off injuries, but guys that just maybe had a successful season this past year, but haven't been consistently been able to do it. So yeah, you're right. I, I mean, he did pitch Verlander. He pitched 28 starts, 174 innings, I think, which is the lowest full season total since like 2015, like you said. But I mean, yeah, I think he's the guy. Like, and I feel more confident with him than anybody else. Not saying it's good, but. Everything can change in a second, you know, obviously. I mean, everything that we see in Verlander's career can immediately change with an injury in April. So you knock on wood around that. But last year, his innings being down sort of had to happen. He came out right out of the gate and was great. And it was stunning how great he was. And then he missed a few weeks in early September due to injury. But it turned out to probably be a good thing because the Astros were cruising their way to an American League Western Division title. They knew he was going to have to make four or five postseason starts. So why not make sure he's fresh for the start of the postseason? So between August 29th and the postseason beginning on October 11th, so that's the course of about a month and a half, 
he only made four starts in September. And I think a lot of that was the situation. Like I pointed out, the Astros standings-wise had everything wrapped up. But here's what's crazy. Verlander comes back August 29th after he misses a few weeks. I'm sorry, he missed August 29th until September 14th or so. That's pretty much what it was. So he missed about a three-week period. He made four starts. He pitched 23 innings and allowed three earned runs. He came back and, like, didn't miss a beat. 31 strikeouts, three walks. He was locked in. His playoff numbers were not great. He did not have the greatest postseason in 2022. That first start against Seattle went very badly. The Astros bailed him out. Remember, they came back in that rally in game one against Seattle. His best start came against the Yankees, but that always happens. He owns the Yankees for whatever reason. Six innings, one run in the ALCS. And then he made the two World Series starts. Because remember, the Astros cruised their way to World Series. so They didn't need Verlander to make many postseason starts. Um, World Series, five innings, five runs, the no decision. And then he kind of had the the bounce back, the five-inning, one-run performance that helped the Astros win the World Series. So the bag was mixed in the postseason from him. Do I take a lot of stock in that? A little bit only because Scherzer was so good last year. And then even though he missed a lot of time, either he ran out of gas or was just hurt again, as the report was. But either way, because it doesn't matter, Max Scherzer was ineffective at the end of the season. Justin Verlander was ineffective at the end of the season. And that's the biggest concern we're going to have. Like as much as we just talked about making 30 starts and throwing 200 innings, we want and need Verlander and Scherzer to be elite when it matters. Because if this past season shows us anything, you could go win 100 games in the regular season. That's great. And they did it by barely getting starts out of Scherzer and DeGrom. Think about it. How many starts did the two aces actually make during the regular season? Not a lot. Not a crazy amount. They contributed, but they weren't the main reasons why the Mets won 101 games. But what we remember is what happened at the end. So the Mets, and this is going to be very important with Verlander and Scherzer, and we're going to scream and yell about it. I'm telling you right now, we're going to bitch about this. They got to find a way to keep these guys fresh. They got to find a way to maybe even skip a start here and there because we learned it from this past year. Could go out and have the greatest regular season in the world. If you suck in October, your ass is getting booed off the mound. Max Scherzer will tell you. He'll remind you what happened. So I know it's going to be frustrating. And look, the rest of the team has to play well enough where you could afford to do it. Because if you're fighting tooth and nail just to make the postseason, you really don't have the option. But ideally, you're going to find a way or try to find a way to keep Scherzer and Verlander's innings down. Verlander's 40. Scherzer's 38. Like, they're both going to the Hall of Fame on ice skates. I get that. I respect that. But for this to work, for us to be happy, they got to win in October. And you have to find a way to keep them fresh going into October. Would you like to hear a random Verlander stat that will get you very excited but mean absolutely nothing? Oh, please give it to me. (laughs) I preface it. It'll get you excited, but it means nothing. So, obviously, the National League East is the new division of Justin Verlander, as is the National League, a career American League pitcher. Out of curiosity, I looked up his numbers 
against the four division rivals, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Washington Nationals, and the Miami Marlins. I left us out because he can't face us. He's on our team. I don't know if you know that. He threw 78 innings in his career against the four division rivals. Very evenly split. Three starts against Atlanta, three starts against Philadelphia, three starts against Washington, three starts against Miami. Very nice nice and organized. 21 innings against the Braves, 19 innings against the Phillies, 19 innings against the Nationals, 19 innings against the Marlins. If you combine his numbers against all of these teams, he has a record of 9-1 and one with a 1.84 ERA. So basically, Justin Verlander, in his major league career, his brilliant major league career, has bitch-slapped the entire National League East. Does that excite you, Pete, or would you go on the side if it doesn't mean anything? I think it's more of it doesn't mean anything, but I I, listen, those numbers will certainly flash up at some point on that huge board they're putting out in Citi Field. (laughs) Hey, this guy dominated the NL East. (laughs) Now, the funny thing is, that stretched out over a decade and a half because, you know, it's really interleague play. It's the only time he's facing these teams. So between 2006 and 2022, you somehow get these ultra dominant numbers. It's amazing. Justin Verlander, through all of the interleague play, has only made two career starts at City Field. Is that not amazing? Two. Two. Meanwhile, Justin Verlander is so old. How old is he? Dude, he was on the 06 Tigers. I mean, if the if Beltron swings at a curveball, Beltron may be facing Verlander a week later. That's how old Justin Verlander is. But he's made two career starts at City Field. We remember the one this year uh, for the Astros. Pitch great. It was on that afternoon game in which SNY had us in their suite. That is, of course, the last time SNY will have us in their suite now that they don't like me. Uh, but Verlander threw great in that game. His other start at City Field went all the way back in 2010. Now, here's a depressing stat about Justin Verlander. And it's not his fault, but it should concern you. If you looked at the catchers that have caught Justin Verlander in his career, the guy who ranks fourth on the all-time Verlander list for most games caught, why are you shaking your head? It's almost like you know what I'm about to say. Oh, I feel like I know. This is going to be brutal. Go for it, though. <laughs> the guy who's fourth on the all-time list of catching Verlander games is, of course, James McCann, who is currently on the New York Mets. He's caught 57 Verlander starts. Honestly, I don't think that's going to impact him being on this team or not. The fact that he caught Max back in the day catches him now, obviously even though I I was convinced Scherzer hated McCann. That was one of those fan fiction things I would tell myself. Ah, you see the way Max shakes his head at McCann's calls? He hates him. He he needs him out of here. He needs Nito. He loves Nito. But yeah, James McCann has a lot of experience with Verlander. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I did not know this. Tim Healy wrote a great article in Newsday about Verlander and Scherzer because this is a weird kind of reunion between the two of them. They were obviously teammates in the early part of the last decade in Detroit, had really great success. That entire rotation, man. They had David Price in that rotation for a while. They had Robbie Ray in that rotation for a while. Loaded, loaded rotation. Rick Porcello, who won a Cy Young. But according to Healy and according to guys who were around them, they did not love each other. Like, they were not buddy-buddy. It was described as a very competitive relationship between the two of them. Now, they were a lot younger, in fairness. I think now, as aging veterans who kind of know their place in baseball history, both have won championships, both have won a bunch of Cy Youngs, it's probably different than when you're in your mid-20s because age-wise, they were pretty close, pretty close in age. And Max was in his low, early 20s. Justin's in his mid-20s. So very different than where you are when you're in your late 30s. Pete and I know something about that. I mean, it's like Hoff and I a decade and a half ago, maybe we'd be competitive with each other. Now nah, we're just old fogies. We don't even give a crap. <laughs> we're, just, we're just living life. Now we're just doing podcasts every other day. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So I, I don't know if that relationship is going to be the same. But here's what's funny, and this is going to become very obnoxious very quickly, but I always want to warn you about that stuff. Verlander and Scherzer are separated by five strikeouts on the all-time strikeout list. Right now, Verlander is 12th with 3,198. Scherzer is 13th at 3,193. They are chasing Phil Necro at 33,42, and assuming they're healthy, they should eclipse Phil Necro for 11th all-time. And the guy who's 10th all-time, who they also have a chance to eclipse, is Greg Maddox, who's at 33-71. But as Scherzer and uh, Verlander are healthy, they're probably going to pass each other in strikeouts. And you know that's going to be a thing. Up! Scherzer pass Verlander. Up, up, up! Verlander pass Scherzer. So it'll be incredibly obnoxious. But maybe, maybe they'll compete over it. And look... I don't give a damn what their relationship is if they're competing. If it gets the best out of each guy, that's really all that matters. That's what we're looking for as Met fans. Do you think they're going to base who starts opening day off of who doesn't have the most strikeouts right now? Like, you think that's how it's going to go? <laughs> Scherzer goes first, then Verlander? You know what's funny about that? And I know opening day is a very symbolic thing. Um, there's no right answer to the opening day question. Because the opening day question is an interesting question. I think it'll start to become a bigger deal come March. But if you're Buck Showalter, can you really just say, well, Max is the guy. Why is Max the guy? Justin Verlander, I think is, I don't want to say he's the better all-time pitcher. Because if we're comparing careers, it's actually something that we should take a closer look at. Off the top of my head, I'd probably, yeah, that's a tough one, actually. Now I'm thinking about this. Who, who's the better all-time pitcher, Verlander or Scherzer? A part of me kind of leans towards Scherzer. 
I got to go do a deep dive on these numbers at some point. We should do a whole podcast about that. I about to say we we have we have a whole off season. There might be some really uh, long weeks. <laughs> do you have well, a gut answer to that? By the way, who's a better all time pitcher? Is not even looking no. at numbers. Like just your guttural reaction. I feel like Verlander is the star studded, more impactful pitcher over the past couple decades. That's where I would lean. Say that again. Who, who is? I think I think Verlander would be. I think. It's yeah, Verlander. I think Scherzer was the more dominant pitcher. Like if I off the top of my head, if I had to say who was the more dom, who had the more dominant seasons, I'd probably lean towards Max Scherzer. But I don't know. I got to take a closer look at this. I know Verlander but, had the MVP season, so that kind of goes up there. But, but didn't but didn't Verlander start better? Like it took Scherzer a couple of years to yes. kind of like he started in Arizona. No one even knew who he was. He was just a little bit. He was an off. I remember Mad Max in, in Arizona. I remember it when that whole took, trade happened. No, to your point, it took Scherzer until 2013, 28 years old, to really put it all together. So he was more of a late bloomer than Verlander was. But we'll do that another time. To your point about opening day, like you don't owe opening day to either guy. You know what I mean? Like Scherzer's history here is not long enough. He isn't accomplished enough where I feel like you just have to hand it to him. Verlander's coming off the better season, the more complete season. He won the World Series. He won the American League Cy Young. Um, I don't know, man. I, I would give the opening day start to Verlander only because I'm pissed at Scherzer because he crapped all over the field in the wild card series. So I'm I'm probably partial to Verlander because he hasn't done anything to inflict damage to me while Scherzer has. That, that'd be my gut feeling on the opening day question. That's already like a bad like competition. Like I mean, it's a good competition, but that's already like a sour taste. Like we're talking about the Grom got butt hurt by Scherzer's offer. Now Scherzer's getting butt hurt by Berlin against the opening day start. I just got here. I don't know if they care that much about opening day, do they? they no, it's probably going to go about to, opening day. It's probably going to go Tyler McGill again. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know what? Hopefully, both guys are healthy come opening day, and it's even a discussion because that's obviously the fear. the The biggest fear of Two all-time greats in the same rotation at the same time. The Detroit Tigers' bizarro world from a decade later is can they stay healthy? That's really what it comes down to. And the kind of nervousness of this world we're living in where the Mets are going to rely on a 38-year-old and a 40-year-old. And not just guys who are a combined age of 78, but guys who've thrown a ton of innings in their careers. You know, both guys have thrown... Scherzer isn't quite at 3,000 innings. He's at 2,600 innings. But Verlander's over 3,000 innings. I mean, you're talking about 5,700 combined innings between the two guys. Now, the rest of the rotation, here's the way I would view this, by the way, Pete. They got to sign one more guy. I'm not going to get nuts and say they have to sign two more guys because I do like the idea of Peterson or McGill being in this rotation at the start of the year. Um, they weren't really last year. They only were because of injury. That's why Tyler McGill got that opening day start. And obviously DeGrom missed a big part of last year. But if you sign one more guy and I I've made it clear, Kode Senga would be my, my choice. It could be Jamison Tyone. It could be Chris Bassett. You don't hear a lot about Taiwan Walker. So I almost assume it's not him, but for the sake of this Senga or Bassett, take your pick. You've got Verlander. You've got Scherzer. You've got the third guy. You've got Carrasco. And then, to me, you've got the competition on who that fifth starter is. Tyler McGill, who looked very good early on last year. David Peterson, who at times has looked really good. 
and you almost let it be kind of an open competition. I guess you could throw Joey Lucchese in there too as a competitor in this, but I doubt it. You do have Eliasar Hernandez, who they got from Miami. Again, more of a depth guy. Jose Budo, more of a depth guy. And then whoever doesn't make the rotation probably shifts to the bullpen as a long reliever, but still an option in case you have injuries. And like I mentioned earlier, if you are going to be careful with Verlander and Scherzer and have them maybe skip a start here and there, it's going to behoove you to have a sixth guy. I was even thinking, bro, you're going to think I'm nuts for saying this. Maybe it makes sense to have a six-man rotation right from the get-go because you are dealing with two guys who are old. And usually my attitude during the healthy time of DeGrom, my attitude would be, I want to maximize how often he pitches. I want him to pitch every five days. I want that guy making 33 starts. We don't want that necessarily with Scherzer and Verlander. We want them to be healthy. So let me be the first guy to bring it up. If I'm not the first guy, I apologize to whoever the hell is. I think I lean towards the idea of a six-man rotation. If that's the case, maybe you do sign a second starting pitcher along with um, the third guy we're talking about because it makes sense with the way this rotation is built to give everybody an extra day. Well, okay, so there's a few things, okay? First off, I just want to say on record, I've saw that Mets now have the best starting rotation in baseball currently. To me, that makes Based on who? Who says that? I, I I forgot which which site put it out no. there, and other people were retweeting it. I'm just like it's a ranking can, system; it means nothing. But and right, exactly. And how can you rank that when the Mets rotation hasn't been filled out? You could say Scherzer and and, and Verlander won two, but there's nothing else after that. I here's my biggest issue right now, and I, this is why I lean against Carlos Rodon. I don't believe in him. I believed in him for short stints. I don't believe in a six-year deal for $180, $200 million on him. I don't. I just I feel like he had a couple of walk years where he pitched really well. Besides that, he never really got it. So it always scares me a guy that that walks away from you know on a on a on a walk year having amazing numbers. I don't mind Sanga because I think he'll come in cheaper. So for that, I, I agree with you. I'm not really sold on the six-man rotation. I'm not. I, for one, if you have Scherzer, I know you want to save their arms, but if you have Scherzer and you have Verlander, they give you the best optimal chance to win a game when they start. I don't trust anybody on the back end. I don't trust Peterson. You know that already. I don't really trust Tyler McGill. I actually like Lucchese as a, as a, as a bottom end of the guy. I, I, tr- I kind of almost think he's got more of like a wild card vibe like a Tywin Walker did when he came where I could see him having the best stuff. He just doesn't – he always gets hurt. That's his biggest problem. I do think they need to go for somebody, which I hate to say this. I'm going to kill myself for saying this. Get me like an Andrew Haney or – I don't want to say Michael Walker, but somebody where it's like they had a really good season last year. Give me a one-year deal with them. Make them earn it again. I don't want a Jameson Tyone. He had a good season last year. Don't don't yeah. bring that type. Bassett and Walker, why they perform the best? Because they were walking away. They knew they were trying it, to get a contract. It's not, but that's not an exact science. I mean, you're right that there are guys who have career seasons. Like, I can't deny that. But I don't think that anybody who has a great year on a contract year literally only did it because they're in a contract year. You know, Chris Bassett, two years earlier, also pitched really well. He had a chance to win the American League Cy Young. He got hit by a line drive. Like, Chris Bassett was having a really good season. So I don't know if that applies to everybody. It applies to some guys, and it's always tough to figure it out. It's easy to say it also after the fact. If a guy starts to struggle, 
if you bring in one of those real back of the rotation guys, Haney scares me to death. I don't think he's that good, but okay, a guy like him, then I'd even be more partial to the six-man rotation because I do think that you need to find out what you have in David Peterson and Tyler McGill. What's going to be really important for this team moving forward is to eventually develop some of their own. And they don't have a lot of high-end starting pitchers coming anytime soon. So let's see what David Peterson is. Let's see what Tyler McGill is. And, you know, you said something earlier about Scherzer. It's so true. He didn't develop till he was 28. So why do we always sit here when a guy is pitched only for a year or two and say, oh, I know what he is. We don't know what he is. There's a long list of all-time greats. I'm not even talking about just good pitchers. All-time greats. They didn't develop until they were 28, 29. And I think that if you've got a rotation headed by Scherzer and Verlander and whoever that third guy is and a solid veteran like Carrasco, you can live with trying to figure out what you have with David Peterson and Tyler McGill. Um, I think if they add one more pitcher, which they're clearly going to add, I'm not sure if they're going to add two more pitchers, and you can be healthy going into the start of this season, it's at least intriguing to go with a six-man rotation, to see what you have. And the other positive I always wondered about with a six-man is does that allow you to maybe be a little bit more aggressive with how deep you let guys go into games? Because they're getting an extra days of rest. So maybe that's the kind of thing that would help you extend certain guys to actually pitch deeper into a game. But the one thing is I don't, I'm not totally opposed to six man, but the one thing that Scherzer, and again, like we're talking about Scherzer, like we know his body, and like, hey, this is great. Right. I dig him six days, you know, every you know every six day he goes or whatever it is because he's a six man rotation. He always said though he needed to pitch more. Like his inactivity a couple of years ago kind of screwed his arm up. Yeah, I don't but, freaking know, but I, I feel like I trust him more than I trust myself or trust the the managerial staff and be like, oh, let's pitch him less. Yeah, I don't. But the, what the hell was his excuse this year? Because he came back from his injury. He was still hurt. I, I, look, I don't know what the hell it was with Max Scherzer, but these are the kinds of things that are scary about older pitchers. That there's, They may not go by being ineffective. They may go by not pitching enough, by getting hurt, by that being, or wearing down late in the season, which may have been the case with Verlander in the postseason. Like, I, I don't know, but that's the key to this whole thing. You know, let 2022 be our guide. 101 wins is not enough. We're not pleased. We're not happy. We're not celebrating. It's all about October. And that's why it's it's very NBA-like, and I know it's obnoxious, but it's about getting ready for the playoffs. I'm sorry. That's, that's kind of the new world we're in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. By the way, the Mets had Justin Verlander, and they continue a laundry list, which is incredibly impressive, of, and I want to use this phrase lightly because Scherzer had a good regular season last year, and Verlander hasn't thrown a pitch yet, of over-the-hill legends who become New York Mets, starting pitching legends, like all-time greats who become Mets late in their career. Listen to this five-man rotation of all-time greats. All right, you ready for this one? 
Justin Verlander, 40 years old. And again, I hope he's great for the two years he's here. Maybe three, there's a vesting option if he throws whatever it is, 160 innings. Justin Verlander signs here. He'll throw his first pitch as a New York Met at age 40. Max Scherzer, fine year last year, going to the Hall of Fame easily, signs with the Mets, 37 years old. Pedro Martinez, one of the most dominant pitchers we've ever seen, was a very old 33 when he came to the Mets. 33 sounds young, but with all the innings on his arm, his height, diminutive, diminutive, it was an old 33. Had one great year. The rest of it was crap. Tom Glavin, another Hall of Famer, 37 years old. To his credit, he went out, he made every start. <laughs> I give him that. But he comes in at 37, was never as good as what he was in Atlanta. And to round out our rotation, I got long before our time. One of the great left-handers in the history of baseball, Warren Spahn. Warren Spahn was, get this, 44 years old when he became a New York Met. That is a legendary five-man rotation of washed-up starting pitching legends. Verlander, Scherzer, Pedro, Glavin, and Spahn. What franchise can match that? Uh, and now, listen, if you had to go six-man deep, you're missing one. Bartolo Colon. <laughs> no, there's a few on the precipice. Like, the guy's not a Hall of Famer, but Oral Hershiser was a dominant pitcher for a short period of time with the L.A. Dodgers, and we got him when he was 40. So Oral could be our swing guy. Santana, I can't include because I thought Johan was a really good Met. So I, I wouldn't call him like an over-the-hill legend. But think about that. That is a freaking list and a half. Verlander, Scherzer, Pedro, Glavin, Spahn? So that actually br- brings up something that I was, I was diving into a little bit. And I don't know if you've done the research at all. But pitchers that have gone into their 40-plus years and how well they performed. I've looked at, like, you know, you look at the Randy Johnson of the world. You look at the Chris right. of the world. Roger Clemens, Bartolo Colon even. Like, there are some yes. that do have dominant season or seasons. But it really gets a little dicey, which gets that, – that is another reason why I, I am not 100% locked in on this Justin Verlander pick It's – it's very, very dicey, but yeah, I mean, we've seen some legends pitch well into their 40s, and you know, it's also a different time. I know with Clemens, we always go to the steroid stuff, that that was a big part of why he was able to pitch effectively in his 40s, but we're also seeing quarterbacks play deeper into their 40s, and one of the reasons that's given is, well, it's a different game. You know, quarterbacks are protected a lot more. Dude, I could say the same thing about pitchers. Pitchers aren't protected a lot more. Pitchers aren't able to kind of hide themselves by only going six innings. You know, that was one of the big critiques of DeGrom. It's a critique of everybody. Most starting pitchers don't go deep into games. So I don't know if that can protect you as much as the quarterback. But look, we have to be hoping for that because the Mets strength going into 2023, because I don't foresee big changes offensively. Like, I don't think they're making the move that you want or that a lot of Met fans want. They're going to go into this season with hope that Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos, specifically Alvarez and Beatty, are big-time bats and hoping they develop. And that, that's really what we're looking at. I, I'd be surprised if we're talking about any kind of significant addition offensively. Now, the Mets were a good offense last year. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore that the Mets overall in Major League Baseball 
were like a top five offense. That's what they were. It's not something we're used to. In fact, get this about the Mets last year. The Mets finished in all of Major League Baseball. There are 30 teams, obviously. They finished fifth in runs per game at 4.77. That's the highest the Mets have finished since when, would be my question. Do you know? Well, what is it? What's the win total, uh, run total? Excuse me. It's not. I'm not going by run total because there's different eras of baseball that kind of put it out of whack. So what I'm going by is they finished fifth in fifth. Major League Baseball in runs per game. When was the last time they finished in the top five in Major League Baseball in runs per game? If you had to take a wild guess. I'd probably say it's got to be 0607. 06-07 is a great guess, and it's very, very close. Like, for example, in 2007, the Mets were 10th in runs scored in Major League Baseball. Wow. Uh, 2008, they were 8th. In 2006, the year you mentioned they were the best team in the National League, the Mets were 6th. So very close, but not top five. When was the last time they were top five? And I'll give you a hint. They were number one the year I'm thinking about. So the last time they were in the top five was actually a year in which they finished number one in runs scored. Uh, I'm guessing 2000. You're not even close. The answer is 1990. So get this. The New York Mets, an offense that, a lot of people are saying they have to improve. You have said that. They got to improve. They got to improve. And I, I totally get where you're coming from. I don't think you're crazy. They are coming off, at least compared to their peers, you know, where they rank in baseball, as the most successful offensive season they've had in 30 years. What do you make of that, Hoff? That, that's confusing the hell out of me. That 1990 team was terrible, right? No, no 1990, they were pretty good. That was the end. That was the end. That, that was it. And look, wow. I want to make something clear. There were years in which they scored more runs. Like, for example, 2019, they scored more runs. It's just we're comparing it to their peers because that's the only fair way to look at something like this because there's been eras of baseball where you score a lot of runs. I mean, it's just the way it is. So when I mentioned, hey, they're fifth, it's just comparing them to everybody else. You know, offense is still down in Major League Baseball. That may change with the banning of the shift. The numbers may look a little bit different, but this was a top, five offense and that's not something we've said much in the history of this franchise so look here's my point i think the offense is gonna be very similar we'll get more into brandon nemo we'll see if any news breaks throughout this week at the winter meetings this is still a team based on having a good offense but built around two legends and built around a dominant closer like the formula is the same last year it was degrom and scherzer this year it's verlander and scherzer and here's what's funny Last year, and in the regular season, again, they won 101 games. So they obviously had great success. But they only got from Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, the two guys they were supposed to rely on, they only got a combined 34 starts. What do they get from Scherzer and Verland? Do they get a bigger number than 34? I hope so, because if they don't, I don't know. I don't know if they'll have the same success this year. But think about that. They were built around Scherzer and DeGrom. Got 34 starts from Scherzer and DeGrom and won 101 games. Now, Chris Bassett went out and made 30 starts. Taiwan Walker went out and made 29 starts. Carlos Carrasco went out and made 29 starts. David Peterson, as much as you may not like him, went out and made 19 starts. So they got some big contributions elsewhere. And that shouldn't be forgotten because 
they have to replace that production out of Taiwan Walker. There's no guarantee Carrasco is going to give you the same production and someone's replacing Chris Bassett or it's just Chris Bassett coming back. So a big part of the Mets' success isn't just going to be Verlander Scherzer, but what does the rest of the rotation do? Because the rest of the rotation last year did really well. We talk about where the Mets finished and run scored. If you go by starting pitchers ERA, they finished fifth in Major League Baseball. Same thing. They were effective, even if it wasn't a lot of Max and Jake making starts throughout the season. Well, I mean, again, like this, this there, there's, there's too many question marks right now for this, this pitching rotation, and I still think right now, and it's still early on, but the team is not better off. You talk about they're not going to improve offensively. I don't like that. I hate that so much. I understand you're saying with the wind, the, the, the where they are compared to their their peers, fifth place overall is great. But I always say you got to do better because there was a long stretch there where the, the offense was anemic. And the fact that we're sitting there and saying, let's rely on the young kids, which I'm actually okay with, I'm actually really happy about that. But it's still not enough. You still need some more protection. And I'm not convinced that Nimmo is going to be the guy to protect anybody. I, I, if you bring it back, that's great, but you still need to add to it. And it's the same thing with the rotation, too. Like, again, like I just, there's a lot of concerns I have. I feel like the team is taking a step back. I hate to say that because it's still so early and people kill me. Dude, let's see what happens first. Yeah, well, I've seen this story written before with other owners and other GMs of the New York Mets, and it always goes the way that I'm like, unfortunately expecting well one thing and this went around on twitter the other day and it's it's hilarious was a question jeff wilpon was asked about bryce harper bryce was a free agent after the 2018 season and jeff wilpon was quoted as saying via mike puma how many teams have multiple guys making more than 30 million dollars a year and for whatever reason today maybe it's because they signed verlander that tweet went viral again with everyone mocking how the Mets now have not one, not two, but three guys making over $30 million and two of which are making over $40 million. So keep this in mind as angry as I may have been about the DeGrom stuff, as angry as you may be, trust me, there's nothing like the Wilpon era going on around here. We may not like what they're doing. We may disagree with certain things, but there is nothing like the Will Bon era going on around here. No, and I get, and I, I respect that. I understand that. Listen, he's spending money. Steve Cohen's spending money, no question about it. But I just look at our rivals, right? The Braves, you could say, they don't need to do much, and they are very much the top of the division or close to it. The Phillies just got Trey Turner. Yeah. Like we just we just basically replaced Jacob DeGrom with Justin Verlander and brought back our closer. This reminds me very much of what it's like, we have to make a move in 2016. What are we going to do? Hey, let's bring this guy, Jordan Cespedes, in. You just traded for him the last year during the, during the trade deadline. He was already yours. You have to build on top of that. That's yeah, what I'm looking for. It also sucks. that, And you knew it was coming with the Philadelphia Phillies. You knew they were adding an elite-level shortstop. It sucks that they had a trade turner because you're right. They got better. And no one wants to hear, well, that's a crazy contract. 11 years, $300 million. Him and Bryce, they're going to be really old with guaranteed contracts. Can't think about that right now. In the right now, even with Bryce missing the first half of the season, the Philadelphia Phillies, whose lineup should just be better naturally because Nick Castellanos isn't that bad. He's just going to have a better season. I would expect that. And Reese Hoskins is going into a contract year, so you figure he'll have a big year. Uh, The Phillies are going to have a dynamic offense. There's no doubt. The Phillies have gotten better, and that sucks. 
Who should the next starting pitcher added be? I'm still in the Senga camp. I lean towards Kode Senga. If it's Chris Bassett, it's very neutral. It's a very neutral move. And, and look, Bassett's been good. I keep this in mind about Bassett. He not only was their most consistent starting pitcher last year, which we can't forget about, but I mentioned this the year before that in 2021, he was even better. Like he had a really, really good season. 2020, it's a short season. But when he pitched, he was great. Like Chris Bassett for three seasons in a row now over the course of 68 starts over three years has been really, really, really good. So at the other day, I was more like, let him go. The more I've thought about it, the more I wouldn't be upset if they brought Chris Bassett back. But I think I'm most intrigued by Cody Singa and the unknown with Cody Singa. So we'll keep an eye on what the Mets do with the rotation. It's obviously going to be a busy couple of days at the winter meetings. We'll have more Ricos as the news continues to break. Uh, obviously, any comments, questions, things you want to criticize us about or agree with us about, or whatever the hell you want to talk about, you can send them all to the Rico B at gmail.com. We do appreciate you listening. I'll be on with Craig throughout the week. Pete, obviously, with Tiki and Tierney. And you never know when we'll pop up again. As soon as they're breaking news, like I always say, give us 24 hours. We have lives. And then we'll post a Rico. <laughs> so it's like Verlander. Verlander signs. Give us a day. We got to work. I got to come home, eat some dinner, kiss my wife, say hi to my sons. Boom, a podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed it. We appreciate you listening. Thank you for uh, indulging in Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>